Hey, Alyssa. Hey, Sam. Hey, Dr. Badali. Hello. Uh, are you guys both ready today? I am ready. I'm ready. Stuck at the office or traffic jam. Time to take it easy with Alyssa and Sam. Is that show you know? A pro. So for today's episode, Dr. Vidali has agreed to come back on the podcast to talk with us about some anxieties that Sam has been having. Oh, our, <laughs> our eight-month pregnant Sam. <laughs> so if you didn't catch our previous episode with Dr. Vidali where we talked about phobias and what was the other thing we talked about? What didn't we talk about, frankly? Honestly. We talked about anxiety and depression and stuff like that, too. Uh, then I will give you a quick little intro. Dr. Melanie Badali is a registered psychologist with over 20 years of experience, and she specializes in anxiety and is very passionate about protecting our, our world's mamas. <laughs> So kind of what had happened here was Sam had taken to Twitter and... As I'm known to do. Yeah. What was your tweet? Um, I think I was just uh, tweeting about um, like anybody that was afraid of like childbirth and and how did it go for you and stuff just so I could hear everyone's horror stories. Yeah. And this is something that Sam is is so afraid of if I can speak on here please <laughs> please do because I think sometimes people can think oh like it's just a funny tweet or whatever but this has been something even before Sam got pregnant that she had come to me with she had come to Matt her husband about and it's something that like really causes you a lot of fear yeah and so I think that Dr. Badali had kind of read between the lines there and <laughs> seen that you know it is a serious thing that Sam's scared of and there's other things that come along with motherhood as well you know postpartum depression and you already struggle with depression so Dr. Badali reached out to us and said hey <laughs> let me see if I can come on and, and speak to you about it so thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today it's my pleasure and it's an area I'm really passionate about and don't worry Sam I'm not going to try and do uh, psychotherapy on you or assessment <laughs> or anything like that I'm just here for education and it's one of those things I really admire you guys for being good role models or uh, influencers I guess is the more cool term these days <laughs> um, you know to really start the conversation about this because there's so many moms who think these things and feel these things and suffer um, and and don't have you know the confidence or they're just not ready yet to be able to talk to people about it so um, thank you so much for um, having me on today. Thank you. Um, just to jump right into it um, I think people have talked a little bit more about like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety and stuff like that. I think that's becoming a little bit more well known. But um, I guess my first question is, is there a difference between regular <laughs> depression, anxiety um, and postpartum depression and anxiety? And if there is, what what is that main difference? I think that's a great question. Um, I mean, if you dig into the literature and, and you look at, you know, what causes these things and what do these things look like? There's always, you know, many factors that go in. It's seldom like one thing. Um, you know, for me, they look very similar in terms of how they present. But um, what is tricky is that you know, just having a baby or being pregnant makes it harder to see sometimes for uh, healthcare providers, but also for people themselves. So for example, you're really, really tired. You feel like, you know, you're covered in tar and you just can't get out of bed. 
you know, if you weren't pregnant or just ha hadn't just had a baby and weren't sleeping, that might just you know, you'd be like, oh, something's definitely wrong here. I can't go to work. And, you know, if you're pregnant, you'd be like, oh, maybe this is just normal. I got hormonal changes. I've got physiological changes. My my body's doing different things. I'm like growing a baby or I just had a baby. And so I think there's a lot more um, uh, confusion about exactly what's going on for people themselves. And, um you know, so that makes it a little bit harder to figure out exactly what's going on and whether we should just say, you know, it's a wait and see approach and time will take care of it and you'll be back to normal soon. Or, you know what, I think something's going on here. Um, we we got to pay attention to this and throw some strategies at it or some medication, whatever, you know, the, the best um thing is going to be for the individual. So I, I think it's a really good question. And I think in terms of like, if you were doing an assessment and you were looking at different symptoms, it's not like we're looking for different things with, you know, depression or anxiety. It's just that sometimes it's really harder to see. And also yeah. like sleep deprivation, which is often it goes along with this whole process, um, really makes it hard because it's so hard to regulate your emotions and feel good when you can't sleep. And, and that's yeah. a, that's happening for a lot of people and not just people, um, you know, not just women who are having biological pre pregnancies, but, you know, people who are adopting and parents of all genders and, you know, different ways of getting the babies like babies disrupt sleep. Even the, yeah. you know, <laughs> it happens and some babies are harder than others. Like they actually are harder and some people's environments make it more challenging. You know, if you have a safe environment, that's easier. If you have a lot of support, that's easier. And yet still, um, you know, sometimes people will have their first episode of depression, even though they have all that stuff in place. It just, it just comes on. Um, and, and in enough people, you know, maybe like 40% uh, of people will have their first episode Um then they've never had any history of, you know, anxiety or depression. So there's definitely a lot coming, um, coming to the table in terms of biological factors and social factors and individual factors, historical factors. Uh, they all come into play during this period. So, so you know, if you're like, what are the symptoms, and you don't have information that's specific to pregnancy or the postpartum period, you can look at the regular information and just sort of customize it for yourself. Yeah. And I find that that's um, kind of like speaking to almost like the confusion around it. Like I, I find that so many um, new parents like that, that's kind of like what they have to say is that they're like, I didn't even realize because, you know, I think one, I think there's like a stigma around it. And there's also that guilt of feeling like, well, am I do I not love my kid enough? Am I not, you know, whatever kind of thing. And I think so many people sort of like almost justify it as well, maybe I am just tired or whatever. And it's kind of glosses over this bigger issue. Yeah, absolutely. I think you bring two big pieces. One, there's that stigma. I don't want to say out loud that I'm not enjoying my baby or I'm not grateful for being pregnancy. What, you know, people are going to think of me, you know, does that make me a bad mom? Are they going to take my baby away? And yeah. I've definitely seen a lot of people who are afraid of that if they admit to certain symptoms. Um, and, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's extremely challenging. And you mentioned the word stigma. And this one is, you know, again, I'm so grateful for you uh, guys doing the show and, and talking openly about this stuff, because stigma is one that doesn't need to be there. 
right? Yeah. And there's there's two main types of stigma. There's external stigma. That's other people saying, oh, you're a bad mom if insert whatever. And it can be anything from like, I've had people who've like, you know, I'm not using organic baby food and, and, and <laughs> feel bad about that or feel bad about, um, you know, they really wanted to breastfeed and it's not, their bodies are not cooperating with that and they have to do formula and they've been given the messaging that breast is best and fed is best has not made it into their head yet and it's you know that it can introduce all sorts of shame uh you know other people shaming them but there's also that internal shame that we have that we put on ourselves or i do and many many people i'm part of that i'm part of that (laughs) yes i'm part of that club um You know, and so I think looking at both those types of stigma to try and and make headway because, um, you know, health is is affected. And one of the reasons why I really like working um, with, uh, you know, pregnant and new moms is because you kind of get a two for one special, especially when the baby is born, is that you help the mom. But then, you know, the babies and the families benefit, too. Yeah, for sure. Do you... uh... Do you know or do you find that it's more prevalent in any specific demographic, like um, even like single moms or like those below like poverty line or anything like that? Like, is there any correlation there to um, because I know you talked about like surroundings and stuff like that and being kind of in a safe space and everything. But is there an elevated kind of risk for different demographics? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's been a lot of research on risk factors and and I think you can probably find at least one study saying almost anything is a risk factor because anything that causes stress could then lead into, you know, being a risk factor. I think the um, the biggest ones are previous mental health history. So that's not a particular demographic, though, again, we know that certain populations and certain demographics have higher risk factors. Um, uh, stressful um, life events. So again, if you're struggling with money and that's stressful, that puts you more at risk. So sometimes it's these these indirect factors versus, you know, a, a particular racial profile based on, say, genetics. It's yeah. more like, um, okay, are are you dealing with systemic racism? Well, that's not good for anybody. Right. And so I think there's a lot of social determinants of mental health. And I think the more that um, we start paying attention to these, I think that will help us, you know, kind of change society in a way that best better sports mental health and moms, but also helps people not feel like, oh, my gosh, this is all my fault. This is all my fault that I feel this way. Um, I think, you know, any particular thing like Uh, for example, marital status. It's one that you will find some studies that say like single moms are more vulnerable, but then there's also an even bigger chunk of literature that says um, unsafe relationships or abusive relationships are the worst. They're worse than being a single mom. Like if you're a single mom by choice and with a big support system, you're going to be less vulnerable. So I think it's one of those things that there are some flags and they, you know, they can be things like, oh, okay, this population is going to be more vulnerable, so we're going to routinely ask. But for me, I think you should just routinely ask everybody Everyone. because, yeah. yeah, if you dig into the risk literature, it's like, do you have a history of, of you know, pr- 
pregnancy-related complications, miscarriage or loss? Uh, do you have previous, you know, childbirth trauma? Did you go through a friend who had that? So those images are in your mind because you, you know, you love them and you saw them have to to struggle. Um, yeah. You know, do you do you bring some stuff to the table <clears throat> in terms of um, you know attachment issues with your own family? Right? Like sometimes you know when you're um, there's a there's a cool word from the anthropology literature called matrescence. It means like the birth of a mother. And so when you you know you're a first time mom and you're trying to like transition to this identity as you know being a mom, you know you look to role models, your own experience, and suddenly you may find yourself processing stuff that happened like 20, yeah. 30 years ago or realizing like, oh, I'm so messed up by this. I don't want to mess up my kid. And, and mm. you know, it's, it's, there's all, all different things that can uh, come. But um, definitely, I think there are some groups that are more vulnerable than others, but it's, there's also this individual piece too. Yeah. I think that it would be so I don't know because obviously I'm not a parent <laughs> but I think it would be so beneficial if it was a, a routine question that doctors ask postpartum yeah you know do, asking about the symptoms of depression because as as you stated before um with like racial bias and if you're dealing with racism and stuff like that with especially with um the fear of losing your child we know that disproportionately you know, yeah. like the black community and the indigenous community are more at risk of losing their children than someone like you or I, like yeah. the white community, right? Um, so I think those people could be less likely to advocate for themselves due to fear. And yeah. so if doctors, <laughs> you know what I mean? And obviously, we're opening the door kind of thing. Yeah. And obviously in Canada, we're so privileged with um, our universal health care. So I think that there's probably things that I don't understand for like the US and stuff. But um, yeah, I think that that would be a great thing. Yeah, and, and there are a lot of places that do routine postpartum and prenatal or antenatal screening. Like that's best practices. Mm. Screen everybody. So nobody feels singled out. And mm -hmm. as you're screening, don't apologize and be like, it probably doesn't apply to you because you're a white, you know, whatever. But just, you know, this is a routine thing. This is, you know, one in five women. This is, I mean, I don't know what the pandemic stats are, but we've seen things, you know, anxiety and depression and moms, um, uh, yeah, double or triple. And there has been some research done showing, um, you know, women who are pregnant during COVID are more vulnerable to anxiety. I mean, it, it makes sense. Like you kind of yeah. think, I didn't even need research to tell me that, but, but there is research <laughs> coming out that is showing people are more vulnerable and it doesn't have to be uh, physicians that do the screening. It could be with midwives. It could be mm -hmm. public health nurses. I mean, our public health nurses are pretty busy right now, but um, I think the more that we implement these screenings, uh, the better. We're doing much better in terms of screening for depression now in Canada. Um, anxiety tends to still fall through the cracks a bit and be more like, yeah, that's just normal. But we know that, um, you know, anxiety is actually much more prevalent than depression and is a big predictor of depression. Like if you're anxious during your pregnancy, that can actually predict um, uh, depression to a certain extent. It's one of the, the more robust predictors. So yeah, I think screening should just be you know, your blood pressure. You know, this should be like mental health screening should be part of your vital signs. Let's, let's mm -hmm, just check yeah. in and see how you're, you're doing with that and, and, um, and have 
not only that piece, but then, and this is where we don't do as good a job, I think, is tied to resources and make it easy, especially for, again, some of those communities that you mentioned that uh, might, for very good reasons, be hesitant to seek help. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, kind of going back to, like, that stigma and stuff like that, um, something that I see a lot and you know, when I um, when I tweeted that thing about um, being scared of childbirth and stuff, a lot of the responses, um, and even one of my doulas said this to me too, they were like, you know, women have been giving birth forever. Like, they've been doing this forever. And I think that for some people that is really comforting. And I think for other people, it's kind of like, yeah, women have been doing it forever. So like, why am I struggling so much with this? And I think that you kind of can apply that same logic to parenthood as well of like, after the labor's over like after that's out of the way it's like why why is everyone else seeming to be able to do this so easily not easily you know I think everyone knows that (laughs) parenthood is difficult but um but uh you know like why is everyone else able to manage and I'm not and I think that that does really lend to so many people not coming forward and and not wanting to admit it because it's like well does that is is that admitting that I'm a bad mom yeah and that's our 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 deepest fear and me my son is 11 now and I still get the am I a bad mom questions I still that and you know one thing we can we can do is use that as a sign of what we care about if we're asking ourselves am I doing a good job as a parent if we can just sort of tweak it a little bit um, from I should be doing better to oh wait this is my body and my brain's way of reminding me that I care about this yeah, right. If so we can, yeah. you know, kind of make some of those tweaks, and you know, in terms of the the doula who mentioned women have been giving birth, you know, well since the beginning, people. I'm I'm assuming that's how we <laughs> kept going. I suspect women have been terrified since they yeah. have been giving birth. And if you think about what rates of morbidity and mortality were, uh, you know, not in modern times and in other countries, we are so lucky to be alive during this time but maybe in terms of like our old brain and and evolutionary benefit and adaptation it was somehow helpful to be afraid because maybe you wouldn't have wandered off to be by yourself yeah right maybe you would have stuck close and been a little bit more anxious maybe you would have been sending out cues i'm gonna need help hey (laughs) (laughs) right and you know maybe there are also things in our modern day environment because we we live often in these individualistic you know, kind of environments versus, you know, true villages or community settings where there would have been lots of people to swoop in. Maybe we need to be paying attention on a social level to say, hey, our systems are failing pregnant yeah. and new moms right now. This is, the, it's affecting their mental health versus somehow they're not strong enough and they don't have it together and they don't know what they're doing. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, sort of that balance, obviously, I work with people on the individual level to say like, okay, is there any way we can think about these things differently? Are there some tweaks we can make in terms of, you know, put your oxygen mask on first, take care of yourself a little bit, so that you can take care of the baby. Like, it, there are a lot of things that we can do as individuals, and that, you know, I can do as a, um, a psychotherapist to help somebody through these times. But there are also these big, kind of social issues as well that we need to be thinking about. And if you look at treatments for um, depression and anxiety in uh, new moms, social support comes out as something that's really useful. And that social support isn't always useful for other things and or maybe the same condition at another period of time, it wouldn't be as important, but we really do need 
um, you know, to have help. Yeah. It's not well, a thing we should be doing alone. Well, and I think that point is especially true during COVID because I know, oh, um, like my experience, like my husband hasn't been able to come to any of my appointments um, or like ultrasounds or anything like that. And, yeah. um, and then when I'm actually going into labor, he's the only person that can be in the room aside from like our medical team, obviously, yeah. um, which, you know, I think that that it's I, I, on one hand, I, I feel like not only is that just scary for like the obvious reasons of having like lesser support, but I think there's also kind of like this grief and sadness about like, well, this yeah. isn't what I pictured pregnancy being. Like you picture it yeah. being this kind of communal experience of your your partner being able to be excited with you and be there and and your parents can be at the hospital and Alyssa can be at the hospital and you know yeah. like it, like and I think that that kind of that loss is something that I feel like a lot of people during COVID are kind of being like well yeah but like everyone is losing their jobs and everyone's losing family members and like is it is it like right or fair for me to be upset about this thing when like I'm still able to get pregnant and it kind of loops t to me it loops back into that whole um, you know, feeling of like, well, I should just be grateful that I can do this anyways, you know? Well, oh my gosh, I want to unpack that. <laughs> There's so much good, not good, but difficult stuff in there is that I think sometimes when people are well-meaning and trying to look on the bright side, they can be very invalidating, mm. right? You know, there, there is, there are things to grieve, right? And, and saying sometimes, you know, saying let's focus on three things we can be grateful for is really useful. And there's even some evidence that saying, you know, developing a practice of gratitude is, is useful for all sorts of uh, things. Mm -hmm. um, but you also have to take that moment to, you know, kind of self-validate. Why does it make sense that I'm feeling this way? And, you know, and to have somebody else kind of make room for that. And I think sometimes people are just too quick to shut down other people's pain and, you know, and, 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 and that makes sense because it probably hurts them to see people they care about, you know, <clears throat> suffering. But I, I think it, it's like we have sort of term in psych <laughs> psychotherapy, sometimes called that second arrow, like you're already done, <laughs> that second <Yeah>. arrow <laughs> comes in, or I sometimes call it like the pylon, like you're already down and then you're kicking yourself too, or somebody else is kicking you. It's like, wait, like this is already hard. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think that there's just so many extra feelings to manage and so much transition and it it's true like this is a time of tremendous uncertainty in the world yeah. right but the way I look at it that's that makes it doubly hard because already being pregnant and being a new mom is is huge in terms of uncertainty and that's where anxiety loves to get in right yeah. it loves it loves a gray area it loves ambiguity because then it can like lead you <laughs> kind of over to that hey something bad might happen you better prepare for that um kind of thing so you know i i think there's a lot of well-meaning stuff that happens uh, you know during this period in terms of attempting to help people manage uh emotions and stuff like that but sometimes it just it, it backfires like even gratitude which is mostly good yeah, can be bad if you're in a bad situation and someone's beating you and you're like, well, at least I have a roof over my head. There are some situations maybe that that would be helpful if you actually have no chance of escape and you're a prisoner, then maybe that's going to help you survive during that period. But sometimes you have to say, no, this actually sucks. This is mm -hmm. big time. 
And if I can figure out a way to make it better, I'm going to. And if not, at least I'm just going to sit with the suck and not, you know, somehow, you know, kind of convince myself that I, I'm the issue and I'm not, I need to be working harder or, you know, doing something different or better. Yeah. Well, I don't think that this idea of, um, like grief comparison is helpful at all because I do I feel like we have so much capacity for empathy and sympathy and so we can feel empathetic or sympathetic towards other people's circumstances and still have our own grief as well right like I I can look at someone and say I'm I'm so sorry that you have experienced this financial loss but then I can also still look at you and say I'm so sorry that you've you know lost this really exciting time in your life with your husband and with me (laughs) Um, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) um, we were talking the other day just as a side note I was like what what am I gonna do like when you're in labor do I just sit downstairs and do nothing (laughs) like I don't want to be a part of this I'm like let me make this all about me make her food make her food no (laughs) yeah yeah she's like I just won't tell you when I go into labor I'm like no don't do that um but the other thing I was going to say about invalidating um the experience as well is it's so true and I think especially even up so even people who are well-intentioned such I feel like I'm well-intentioned when Sam comes to me and says I'm so scared I'm gonna die during childbirth now I'm like but you're not going to and it's like okay probably not the best response but for me I'm like I can't even humor the thought that that's going to happen (laughs) so it's almost like I'm reassuring myself as well that I'm like okay the stats are so low that you have everybody in your corner like Canada is a great country right like and and those are obviously well-intentioned but probably not super helpful in the in the moment you know again it depends you know different people could say the exact same thing to you and from one person it's caring and it's actually information and it helps you kind of you know reality check the the stats and and be grounded and then another person it can be invalidating so again this this is why you know reflective listening and asking for feedback and having those solid you know safe relationships is is really handy so that you know if you do say something and it makes her feel worse she could say actually that didn't help Right. Yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't need stats. I needed a hug. Well, again, it's yeah. COVID. But you know, if, if figuring out like there's, you know, kind of there are times when we need to be seeking information, and when we're going through these new transitions, and there's so much we don't know, we do need more information. But you know, man, you can go down rabbit holes. There's mm-hmm. like you know anything from what car seat to buy to what are how do I prepare for birth and you can have <laughs> you know you could have a birth plan and you like you, you've researched it and you're like okay finally I have my spreadsheet or sorry that's maybe a nerd thing to do whatever and you know <laughs> like you know she's and got an Excel sheet <laughs> uh, um, you know and then and then you and then it's all out the window. Right. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things that, you know, there is so much uncertainty to tolerate. Right. And again, even something like reassurance, sometimes reassurance can be really helpful. Um, but with anxiety disorders, for example, reassurance can get to be too much. You know, yeah. you're and it actually sort of feeds it because you're never really going to get the certainty you want. Right. right? Um, so there's 
you know, if that is an issue for any of your listeners, um, Anxiety Canada um, is a nonprofit organization that I volunteer for, and they do on their website have information about like how to tolerate uncertainty, right? Because I think our instinct is to problem solve for things, yeah. right? Um, and to try and figure stuff out. But there are some times that we do have to, um, you know, sit with uncomfortable emotions and, you know, and, and really tolerate that uncertainty and you know, be self-compassionate for ourselves that that is a hard situation. It's hard to be pregnant. It's hard to be living through a pandemic um, and not let that, you know, let's say you brought up, I think, a really important word, which is comparison. I think we do a lot of social comparing and some of that can be useful, right? We can learn things that way, uh, but other times it can be really, really unhelpful, especially if we have the tendency to be hard on ourselves or other people have the tendency to be hard on us. Whoa, so-and-so is doing this. Why are you not doing that? Oh my gosh. Just a moment to thank today's first sponsor, which is Native Deodorant. Native Deodorant is filled with ingredients found in nature, such as coconut oil for antimicrobial properties, shea butter for moisturizing, and tapioca starch to absorb wetness. It's formulated without aluminum, parabens, and talc, which can clog your sweat glands and keep you from sweating, which is not what we're going for. We're just trying to not like stink while we sweat. You know what I mean? But like sweating is like natural. I'm okay with a little dew. I love sweating. Like when I'm at the gym, <laughs> if any of you follow me on Instagram, when I'm at the gym, I'm like taking pictures of my sweat selfies. I'm proud. I want people to know I'm working hard. I do. Body. <laughs> I do. And I want them to walk by me and like, wow, oh my gosh, she smells like lavender. And I'm like, yeah, I do. It's native. Speaking of, it comes in a wide variety of enticing scents for men and women. Plus, they release new limited edition seasonal scents throughout the year. They also offer unscented formulas in case that's an issue uh, for you or somewhere in your workplace. That's a great option for you. My favorite scent has, and I think always will be, the coconut and vanilla flavor. But you're still going hard with the cucumber mint, right? I, I did actually wear the coconut and vanilla the other day. And Matt was like, you smell so nice. Oh. And I was like... Thanks, but yeah, I'm still not switching. Yeah. Like long term. But you gave you gave the coconut vanilla a chance. That's like for my days that like I wanna feel a little bit more beachy. Just like yeah, like I'm going for like a vacation vibe. You yeah. know what I mean? Like cucumber mint is is my professional business in the front. <laughs> coconut and vanilla is the party in the back. <laughs> If you guys want business in the front, party in the back, you can either get a mullet or buy native deodorant. <laughs> Go to nativedeo.com slash approachable20 or use promo code approachable20 at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash approachable20 or code approachable20 at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. Thank you so much, Native. Another huge thank you to today's next sponsor, which is Rothy's. So I ordered the lace-up sneaker from Rothy's in bright white. And when I tell you I have not taken them off, you know what I mean? Let me tell you a story. Okay. About the lace-up in bright white. (laughs) (laughs) I care not to wear other shoes during pregnancy. I'll say that. Honestly. Like my feet are so swollen and in such extreme amounts of pain all the time. And they're in not as much pain when I wear those shoes. Yeah, and I just love, like, it rains, like, 190 days a year Mm -hmm. in Vancouver. And so, like, my shoes 
forever dirty. Yeah. And with Rothy's, you can actually, they're fully washable. You can just like throw them in, Love you know? That. Love that. Oh, uh, it's, it's just so, like how smart? Do you know what I mean? What more does one need? Yeah. I ask you. And to like top it off, they're also carefully crafted with eco-friendly materials like repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic, which like, I mean, most of you know that that's like really important to us to be able to like source out companies that are eco-friendly. And I just think that that's like, what a great thing that you're doing. You're making a comfortable shoe and you're being responsible with the environment. They're doing it right. Yeah, exactly. Do you know that Rothy's has transformed over 75 million bottles into shoes, handbags and face masks? I know that they've transformed one life at a minimum. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to be transformed (laughs) in the way that Samantha has during pregnancy, you can go to rothys.com slash approachable to check out all the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available. That's rothys.com slash approachable. Thank you so much, Rothys. Last but certainly not least, another huge thank you to today's last sponsor, which is Talkspace. I think we can all agree that we've had some hard times in the last year and a bit here. And I think that a lot of us are unable to kind of like reach out to the normal ways that we would deal with our mental health. And so that's why I'm really excited about online therapy lately. I just think that it's like so accessible for people especially in a time when we can't be in person with a therapist, having the availability to go online and find your therapist that way, and especially trying new therapists, which is why we're so excited to be partnering with Talkspace. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and start therapy the same day as you sign up. You can text, video, or send voice messages to your licensed therapist, so it's incredibly convenient to have a virtual session from the comfort of your own home, which Also, I was thinking the other day when we were talking to Dr. Badali about new mamas, it's such a nice alternative to have online therapy that you can contact them a number of different ways. So it's so much easier and so much quicker than, you know, having to like drive to a therapist's place, sit down for like a full hour, be away from like your new baby or whatever. Take care of your mental health from home. So true thinking about the like driving time between your home and a therapist office. Every minute counts. That's so true. Talkspace is also a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. Instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist 24-7 and they'll engage with you daily, five days a week. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists with years of experience in over 40 specialties, including depression, anxiety, substance abuse, trauma, anger management, relationship issues, food and eating, and so much more. Talkspace is also secure and private, using the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information and complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com and make sure to use the code APPROACHABLE to get $100 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com with the code APPROACHABLE to get $100 off your first month. Thank you so much, Talkspace. Yeah, well, and I think too with like the being hard on yourself thing, like going back into like almost invalidating yourself like you said it's like there's so there's so many aspects like beyond just parenthood and beyond um labor and stuff like that it's also like yeah like what what car seat should i be buying and then you feel bad like 
well, is is this one safer? Like, well, what if I get what if I get the wrong one and then whatever? Or what if I can't afford the one that I think looks the safest? And like, I think there's just so many like, should I be breastfeeding? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? It's like there's so many different aspects. And again, it's kind of like if you're feeling anxiety around that and then you're feeling, um, you know, like you shouldn't be feeling badly about these things um, and you should be excited and whatever because that's how it's kind of posed socially then I think that that lends to like this guilt and shame around the fact that you're feeling already like guilty and shamed yeah it's like the anxiety shame pilot oh yeah yes it's this I mean it it can happen to anybody at any time but during this period of life it's 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 very difficult and there is no you know website that it's like it's probably good nothing.com or like <laughs> you know best practices science-based here's all the research whatever you look through they'll be like oh this list of car seats says this and that list of car seats and this and then you find out you finally think okay I'm gonna you know I don't even know if it's still a thing but like I'm like I'm gonna get a subscription to consumer reports because that's legit and then you read an article <laughs> that says people pay to get their products in consumer reports or I finally pick one and then it's like not available in Canada and I'm like <laughs> oh my oh. god it's the bane of my existence oh right now oh my gosh and then I had I had a friend who like just you know cool as a cucumber and again not invalidating in my case it it worked well and she just said Melanie anything you really need for a baby you can get it at a 24-hour shoppers drug mart (laughs) she said there are safety (laughs) there are safety standards in place for all the important stuff in Canada we live in Canada for car seats there's standards for formula there's standards everything you really need you can get Yeah. And, I, yeah. and it was really grounding for me because I can go down the rabbit hole. That's how my brain works. Like, and sometimes I use it for good, you know, and I'll research and research and learn and, and put a whole bunch of information in my head. And I'm like, oh, brain, you're doing such a good job. Um, and then other <laughs> times, <laughs> those that very same brain infrastructure can make me miserable. So, you know, I think it is useful to have those moments where we can ground ourselves without shaming ourselves, right? Oh, you know, one term I use, um, and I don't know, maybe this will resonate with some of your listeners, is sometimes our brains are overachievers and we want the best. We want, you know, the healthiest thing, the safest thing. Um, and we need to learn to, you know, kind of sometimes if we if we want the A plus to just be like, okay, this this is I, I'm I'm looking at the difference between A and A plus here. I'm not looking at the difference between pass and fail. Yeah, because pass and fail for baby stuff should have already been done for all the important before, stuff. Yeah, yeah before it <laughs> even shelves, shouldn't even have access to that, right? Yeah. Um, when I, oh, sorry. Yeah. Something I think that you know the the public, which is like obviously a very broad term, but <laughs> the internet public, I guess, um, forgets is that not everyone's parenthood like not everyone wants the same things Mm. for parenthood not everyone wants the same things for pregnancy you know for one person being completely organic or really like of the earth is super important to them and someone else just wants the cold hard facts of like what is tested best I want this and it's not up to the public it's not up to me it's not up to you know anyone else to decide other than 
the people who are in place who decide if you are neglecting your child. That's their job. You know, it's not anyone else's job to come online or talk behind your back in your friend group that, you know, Sam's doing this. It's that's not our job. There's people who have that job. Well, and I think also culturally as well is is worth mentioning, too, because I think there's, you know, a lot of um, practices and standards and stuff like that in North America that um, things that are frowned upon and whatever and like culturally in other areas are so normal and so, you know, widely accepted and stuff like that. And I think that because the Internet is such a like mishmash of of everybody, I think that that it's like this international (laughs) like shame spiral happening. Mm Absolutely. And so then on top of the internet, we have kind of our brains, which have these old parts that weren't meant for modern life. Or the, And I mean, that's not how they evolved. Also kind of bringing, bringing back, you know, stuff like you should be afraid of that. And, you know, elevators are weird. And th- this is weird. <laughs> and that, you know, that's weird. And I think between the internet and our, you know, kind of cave woman brain that's trying to help us, um, you know, it, it's definitely a lot to manage. It, it is, you know, a great time of opportunity as well to figure out who do I want to be? What kind of mom do I want to be? Okay, you know, even though I was raised a certain way, maybe I, I want to try something different, um, you know, and, you know, there is a lot of potential, I guess, during mm-hmm. this period too, for growth, not just like actual growth of a baby, but growth of yourself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and your identity, because it is going to start shifting, right? And it's yeah. weird because some people, um, I mean, I don't even think I felt like a grown up, and I was 35 oh, when same, I had my baby same. and I'm like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's so true. I definitely don't feel I, I feel like I'm a child still like I have such like imposter syndrome around that, too, because like I'm like just even like wheeling a stroller around my house. I'm like, I feel like someone's going to be like, you're clearly a child. So I don't know what why <laughs> you have a stroller, but like it's just such a weird ugh, imposter syndrome thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sam was even saying um I think this was like a little bit earlier on, but wearing like tight clothing. She's like, I don't want to wear this tight clothing because people are going to be looking at me like, oh, you're pregnant. (laughs) Like as if it's like an inappropriate age to be pregnant or something. You're 28. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but again, you know, where did that thought pop in from, right? Mm -hmm. Like there have been news stories where women have you know, had negative comments, especially women in the public eye, newscasters. I've definitely saw, a st- I've seen at least one story where people are criticized for wearing uh, clothing that shows their their bump and stuff like that. And so who knows, maybe that was in there somewhere and stuff pops up. But again, I think, you know, the type of therapy that I do, cognitive behavior therapy, and cognitive is just a fancy word for, you know, how you're thinking, what you're thinking, that kind of stuff, is looking at there's going to be all sorts of random thoughts that pop up. Not all of them are going to be true. Not all thoughts are facts. And there's an opportunity to get in there and decide what meaning you give them, decide how you're going to interpret them. And, you know, going to a trusted friend to, if if you can't do it on your own, to go to a friend or, you know, a family member or a therapist, you know, we're usually pretty non we're supposed to be non-judgy and and have your best interest at heart so uh we strive to for that um you know and it's the same when we're trying to filter comments whether it's i guess i I 
guessing you guys get tons of comments on things or ones just in daily life, maybe from our in-laws or random. I mean, when you have a baby, random strangers will give you advice. Yeah. Um, this is not necessary. You know what I mean? You know, (laughs) and, and sometimes, you know, again, there's that, you have that opportunity to sort of try and get in between the words, whether they're coming from you or somebody else and how they impact your behavior. Usually we can't get in them fast enough to not feel them, (laughs) but, you know, to just kind of be like, Ooh, ouch. Why did that? Oh, that hurt. Okay. Well, that's, BS. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Or, oh, that person is well-meaning and was trying to share their their knowledge of things that have changed in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or, as you mentioned, Alyssa, I'm different, right? Like, yeah. um, you know, there'll be different groups of friends and, and some people will be like, don't have an epidural. There'll be an epidural spiral and this will be all this. And then you'll have other friends who are like, epidural girl (laughs) you want that right and it may happen that you want it and then it's too late or you don't want it and then you do yeah Mm -hmm. and it's okay right yeah it's so interesting that you mentioned the like where does it come from side of the thought process that's something that I've had to do like over the last two years in my own growth um but Sam and I were talking about that I think it was actually on the podcast and we grew up in a town where we actually did have quite a few teen moms in our high school and so we did witness a lot of that kind of cattiness around Mm -hmm. these teen moms um who honestly uh, you know their kids are so loved like they you know they're a lot of them I still know and I see them loving their children. And so it's like, so what was it all for? <laughs> you know, yeah. but I'm, that's something that is, I think is important to reflect on in yourself is looking back and saying, OK, so why? Yeah. Why is this coming up for me? And then if you can for me anyway, if I can recognize where it's coming from, I can sooner kind of like lay it to rest because I yeah. can be like, oh, that's the why behind it. And it's not actually true for me. Right. Yeah, that can definitely be useful. I mean, you don't have to know where it comes from to move through it. I think, you know, it it can be really useful to be like, oh, there's that little, you know, pop-up ad from, you know, that store I shopped at 10 years ago in that (laughs) other town or whatever. I can, you know, I can see why that's coming up. But I also think, you know, figuring out what your values are and what you want and moving towards that um, can be useful too. I think think both are helpful. Uh, definitely, of course, I love doing the work on trying to figure out the core beliefs and what's giving rise to some of the, that stuff, because I do think it can be easier as you're trying to ground yourself in your values and, and, and you know, kind of move forward to, I don't know, kind of know what's going on. But I don't think that you need to, because that is a, it, it can be a lot of work to figure that mm-hmm. stuff out. And sometimes when this stuff comes on in the perinatal period, you don't have that time. Yeah. You know, you're lucky if you have time to brush your teeth. I'm not to scare you, Sam, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. sometimes it's just it's more about okay, what's uh, let's just uh, let's go for the things that are weighing you down the most in the moment, and then we can maybe dig around and do some of that good stuff um, yeah. later. Yeah. like And like you said, like everyone is so different, everyone's circumstances are so different. So, something that is really effective for one person it might not be as effective in another person or their circumstances aren't there to explore things in the same way for sure yeah yeah 
And I mean, I've definitely seen a lot of, of women who said, but I had counseling for this. I thought it was over this. And it's <laughs> like, but it's different when you're maybe holding your baby or thinking about that. And, and, you know, you're like, oh, I love you so much. And then, oh, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. And then suddenly you're thinking of the bad thing that happened to you. And then, you know, it's, it's, it definitely can bring back a lot of things that you did think you had kind of said, okay, I'm, 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 I'm moving on from that. And then it kind of just pops up in the same way as, you know, hormonal stuff can flare up. I don't know all sorts of stuff you can lose your hair you can i don't know just all sorts of stuff can go down <laughs> during, lots of, during lots this, of, uh, this period lots of dreamy uh, aspects of <laughs> parenthood um i'm curious actually um i was just kind of like throughout this conversation i've been thinking about this but um do you find that because i i feel like there is still so much stigma but I feel like there is becoming more understanding around like postpartum depression postpartum anxiety and stuff like that but um, I'm curious as well about um, you know the partners to whomever carried the child do you find that they um, oftentimes are struggling in the same way or or feeling invalidated because um, I've spoken before about like with my depression like I, I, I do really think that if you're somebody that struggles with mental illness chronically um it, it does affect more than just you because, you know, you have the people around you feeling like, well, why didn't I see the signs or how can I help or feeling guilty or whatever or feeling like, well, maybe I shouldn't bring my problems to them because they, you know, whatever. And so I'm curious too, like, do you see a lot of that in the partners to whoever carried the child? I, th- I think that's a great question. And I think health conditions, whether they're mental health or some other type of health conditions do have ripple effects into the family and um, you know the bulk of my clinical practice is with moms I've had some uh, dads from time to time but I don't do couples or family work Um, you know and I think if that is something that um, you know a mom is working with they can they can check in with their partner and they can set their own boundaries which say like I this is me this is you I'll tell you if you need to back off but you're allowed to have your own feelings too like I I do think again depending on what the gender roles are what the expectations are you will see different stuff like there's a lot of toxic masculinity stuff that suggests that men are not allowed to have feelings or express negative feelings or be sad or you know it's there's a lot of of stuff that goes on in terms of uh, partner mental health and it doesn't have to be the partner does not have to be uh, a man partner could be whoever that's uh um so yeah i i think that it's something that can affect the whole family system and again the whole family system especially at this part can be part of the solution too or they can they can add to it right so i think there's always opportunities to build skills and knowledge for all the people that the person themselves their their close you know kind of intimate circle if that's you know a partner and then the the, the close friends and the big and then society in general like um, Alyssa you mentioned the states versus Canada I mean Canada we're lucky to have uh, maternity leaves I mean if you work in a job that that has kind of that stuff I'm a sole proprietor so I didn't but um, you know in the states they have very very short maternity leaves and there's some Scandinavian countries in Europe who have like awesome ones and you know what it does make a difference right yeah um so yeah I don't think I think I sort of lost the thread there 
<laughs> did, did, did I did I touch on what you were asking about? I feel like I, I maybe I didn't. I think so. But I also I mean, I have another question that kind of goes into this as well, um, which is I, I think that like with new parents and stuff like that, again, going back to like that guilt and shame and like, am I a good enough parent and whatever? I think something that we see so commonly is um, parents not taking time to uh, care for themselves as well. Yes. Um, and so I'm kind of wondering, like, what what do you suggest in terms of finding ways to cope while being a new parent and dealing with that whole kind of new aspect? Oh, yeah, that that is so important. Um I think if you do have any support system that you can activate, and again, this is hard, um, you know, extra hard during COVID, you know, being okay with taking time to go on a date, like you don't just have to go and like scrub your floors or something <laughs> like that, or go to a, you know, like a, a gynecology appointment or <laughs> some, something like that, like to actually make that mental shift that you're, if, if you do manage to have somebody taking care of your baby at some point that you can just watch Netflix, like don't sit and, you know, watch your show for half an hour while beating yourself up for yeah. watching that show actually take that time and so I think there's a few things like in terms of self-care and this would apply for either you know either parent or three parents or whatever the dynamic is um you know with new moms we often talk about nests nutrition exercise um sleep uh time to yourself and and support right and some people it's really hard for them to ask for help um so even just like you know, I could spend a number of sessions on any one of those things, just trying to make a little bit of headway, taking down some barriers, whether they're cognitive barriers, like, oh, I'm a bad mom if I take time for myself, um, you know, or if it's just actually I have no time to go for, you know, yeah. to exercise in the way that I used to be able to do. I used to like to go to the pool, but then that's time to get there and then I have to do this and now it's COVID and that pool is closed and I I don't I don't even know what to do. Like often there is a lot of work to be done to adjust like how do I make this work for my new um, family system? And one of the things that I will often do with um, clients during this period is like do kind of like a uh, a, t a time pie, you know, like what time do you have and what are you spending it doing? And also then doing a values pie. What is, what is it that is important to you and you want to be doing so we can try and work towards getting those more aligned. And can you, you know, Kate, can you take a, a slice from one? And, you know, usually what I will also do is, is say when you are an individual without any kids, you have your whole pie. <laughs> to yourself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when you have a child you don't get an extra time pie right I mean we usually have un like deep reserves for love right you know and, yeah. and that but we don't get extra time and so usually our own piece of self-care pie gets it takes a hit and often our partner relationship if we're you know in a in a partnership that takes a hit too and that yeah. can be hard. And and we often don't plan that and say, okay, we're gonna have less time to each other for each other. How are we gonna navigate that? You you don't really think about that because you're trying to like research car seats and, <laughs> and deal <laughs> and deal with your body that's like flipping out. So you're not really thinking, oh yeah, I, I'm I'm probably not gonna make you coffee in the morning every like I used to. 
Yeah. And you might feel upset about that because you're not even going to realize that that's going to be something that slides. That's a very personal example because that's something that happened to me. I didn't even realize that I used to make my husband coffee in the morning and that was something that he really appreciated, you know, kind of in, these are not his words, but in my words, like kind of viewed as an act of love. But I was getting up every two hours. I didn't even know what morning was. I wasn't making anybody, <laughs> I wasn't making anybody coffee. Yeah. <laughs> right? For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, it's something like maybe it's something small like that where you can be like, oh, I can make you coffee. I didn't even know you cared or that was something that was important for you. And again, you know, figuring out what are some of the small things that may have shifted in your relationship, but what are maybe some of the, the big things as well? And, you know, it's hard and recognizing that there is going to be this period where, um if you are in a relationship, that relationship satisfaction is going to go down because the research shows like uh, there's like a measure called the dyadic adjustment scale and it, <laughs> it goes down after you have it, <laughs> which makes, it makes perfect sense. But again, from that shame and stigma and all that kind of perspective, if you don't know that, it can, it, it can catch you by surprise. And this is where besties and, you know, other people, you don't need to know the literature on what happens on questionnaires. You know, it's, I also am lucky enough to have a friend who, you know, who shared some stories about, you know, fights that happened during those <laughs> early, you know, middle, uh, middle of the night moments where the baby wasn't you know, sleeping and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, wait, I remember. And you could kind of picture that story of your friend and that, that then picture them. Oh, yeah, they got through that. And it can, you know, kind of give you that motivation and that inspiration. But I think I think you want I was just reading actually an article and it was like the antidote to toxic positivity is tragic optimism. <laughs> so, so this idea of just kind of like radically accepting, okay, some things are going to be a bit of a mess for a while and, and yeah. not trying to, to sugarcoat that and not trying to say that it's supposed to be rosy, right? But also not you know, going down that hole and staying down there, just recognizing it, being compassionate, uh, being self-compassionate and kind of moving towards, okay, but I'm going to do this and this is important and I'm going to, you know, take advantage of this, you know, the good things out of this period of my life. And that's where the gratitude comes in, but without crapping on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think going back to like about how like partnerships change and stuff like that, that was a conversation that Matt and I had um, because I was like, you know, like I we've talked a lot about like how I'm concerned about like my emotional kind of status, like following, um, you know, the birth and stuff like that. Um, and I was like, you know, like I I don't want you to think that the only support I need is if you're supporting our, our child kind of thing, like like as long as that's covered that like then I'm covered too because I'm like you know like I I think I'm going to like need you there for me as well and I think that's something that I've kind of seen with like friends and stuff like that that have had kids is like it, it you know it's so easy for the partner to default to I'm taking care of our kid like I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I am I'm doing I'm trying to support you whatever kind of thing but that's so different from supporting that person individually as well as supporting your 
child. So that was a whole kind of conversation we had to have. (laughs) Well, and I think, again, you know, it's, it's great that you can have those conversations beforehand. But even if you don't have the foresight, like, you know, I've had a lot of women who have history of mental health who actually have plans in place, and it actually goes a lot smoother for them um, in, in some cases than other people who just are blindsided by it. Um, and so I think, again, the more you can keep those lines of communication open, because there actually are some couples where they will say, don't worry about me, just take care of the baby. That's what I yeah. need from you. I need you to take care of the baby. And then, the, you know, there are going to be other people who are like, no, you bring me the coffee. I need that love coffee. <laughs> like, you know, like, please, please, you know, I, I just need that. And then there are going to be some people who they need more than any one person can give. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean they're, there's something wrong with them. That just sometimes you need professional help and yeah. that professional help may look like psychotherapy plus medicine and might also be friends bringing over some food. And again, this is where it does get tricky when you're trying to put your plans in place, um, you know, for health promotion with COVID because it, it's like, you know, you might have some people who are willing to drop off food at your doorstep, but it's just, it's just this, it is harder. It is harder. It's, it's so different, yeah. objectively yeah. harder right now. But I think, you know, the more that you can say, okay, if I had a magic wand and it took away stigma, and if I, you know, also just didn't thought that this was completely normal and there, nobody was going to judge me harshly if I was honest, what am I going to say to my partner? And then yeah. you can you can backtrack from there, but you want to try and give yourself this sense of, okay, you know, maybe my thoughts or feelings are telling me this, that I shouldn't ask for this and I shouldn't need it even. Um, and then ideal world you, and then maybe you, what you end up saying or, <laughs> or doing is somewhere in the middle that's fine, right? It's just it's about, just about kind of shifting a little bit, um, you know, from where you're at to trying to get the help you need. Ideally, you wouldn't even have to ask. That's the ideal world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we all know that <laughs> that often we do have to ask for help. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like for me, within the realm of like my like intimate relationship specifically, I feel like being able to have conversations about um, our expectations of one another, to me, like, that is kind of, like, a form of self-care because it's, like, investing that time beforehand to discuss, like, this is what I I think I might need from you. This is what might change. I don't know. Like, and, and just being able to to put that in place for yourself in the same way that, you know, like, if I'm doing other things for self-care it's like kind of investing that time now so that like down the road like you do have an easier time coping and yeah I love that and I think it I'm glad you brought up the the term self-care and extended it beyond the self because self-care is more than just taking a bubble bath or or something like that that can be good and it can be a form of self-care but my favorite (laughs) definition of self-care is taking care of yourself like you would take care of a loved one Right. And if you, you know, and if you have a child, you you will care about their relationship with you and you will care about how's that going with your friend group. And they might, you know, now I'm at the age of motherhood where it's healthy that they maybe don't want to talk to you about their friend group stuff, (laughs) but you want to at least give them the chance to talk to it. And and again, you know, I think with self-care, self-care can include finances, making sure that you're Mm -hmm. not stressed about, you know, self-care can be a much broader um 
kind of definition that includes areas of uh, of wellness, including relationships. So, yeah, I definitely um, I like that for uh, just self-care in general. And in particular, this part of life, there are going to be these changing targets, right? Like what you need now yeah. might be different than what you need in three months and different than what your baby needs or your you know, partner. And I think, again, keeping those lines of communication and um, open is good. And the other thing, just general, sorry, I don't mean to be like, and please tell people, (laughs) don't let your your emotions boss you around, right? Like sometimes our emotions, they're a really good wake up call. And they're like, hey, (laughs) pay attention, pay attention to this. But we can have false alarms. We can have shame, false alarms. We certainly get a lot of fear, false alarms. Right. And I think it's good to be able to, you know, to sort of take that moment to reality check and say, okay, um, something is telling me I shouldn't disclose here. Is that in my best interest? Am, am I actually going to be unsafe if I do that? Or is that shame and internet garbage comments of people being mean to me or teenage bullying? Or is this stuff that's making me feel less than? that's actually I don't need to pay attention to because it's wrong. Yeah. Right. And so really, and this is why I love doing kind of that cognitive thinking work is to be able to kind of get in there and be looking at, okay, there's what's going on in the environment and there's how you feel and what are some of the ways that we can get in there with doing things and the way that you're thinking that can, you you know, move you towards feeling better, uh, feeling good about yourself and doing the things that are important to you. Yeah. Oh, man. It's such a, there's just, it's such a complex topic. There's just so many things that go into this whole transition. Yeah. yeah. It's such a roller coaster period, right? <laughs> there's the, there's transitions, there's hormones, there, uh, like all sorts of stuff. This is a minefield. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, do you have anything else that you wanted to touch on in today's episode? Um. I just wanted to make the little pitch that if anybody is is interested in learning more about anxiety uh, during pregnancy or as a new mom, that there is a special section on the Anxiety Canada uh, website, anxiety.com, specifically geared towards um, moms and and expecting moms as well. That's awesome. Um, And we'll link that in the description box of the YouTube and the description box on Spotify and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, But thank you so, so much for coming and talking to us about it. This is like such an important topic that affects so many people, obviously. And I think there's not not quite enough conversation around it. So I I really appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for your influence to bring attention to the matter. And I think it's very hard to be, you know, vulnerable. And I think the more that we can show that vulnerability can also be strong and can help us um, connect to each other and, you know, make us um, more powerful. Uh, I think that's a, it's a great uh, message to be sharing. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, a huge thank you again to Dr. Badali for coming on and talking. Yeah. Um, I think it's just worth mentioning. I, I feel like the sentiments were kind of like echoed throughout, um, but I feel like it's worth just saying that, you know, in terms of like being a good parent and stuff like that, I think parents that take care of themselves as well are the best parents in my opinion. And I think that that like definitely don't underestimate the importance of 
taking care of yourself too yeah like dr badali said put on your own oxygen mask first yeah exactly (laughs) you know then i actually said that to a friend recently even though like i'm not a parent you know what i mean but i can still be a supportive friend um (laughs) i was like i feel like being a a, a part of parenthood is is taking care of yourself being a good Mm -hmm. parent is taking care of yourself and i think the same is with being a partner like being a good Uh, and a friend and yeah like yeah everything taking taking care of yourself so you can then assist someone else so yeah self-care you know that we love self-care we're all about it (laughs) (laughs) yeah so thank you so much again to dr dally and thank you to you guys for watching and listening or whatever you're doing reading (laughs) and we will see you guys next time my under boob is sweating in like a very dramatic way um and i think it's time it's best we leave okay (laughs) (laughs) thanks guys bye Bye. oh christ dude yeah (laughs) at one point i was like is my nipple leaking is it is it sweat? It, like, I was like, there's just so many things that could be going on here. Like-